Good evening, everyone. Glad that you guys are with us to this evening. Uh, a couple things. First off, I want to just uh, thank the worship team uh, for what they do and leading us into corporate worship. Uh, what they do is not an easy task, and I'm very grateful that they are uh, putting themselves out there using the gifts that God has given them to lead us all in worship. So worship team, I applaud you for what you have done and continue to do for us. Uh, also as well, I want to uh, thank Quincy Rogers and Anthony Cerezo for our new designs that are here in the M-Team room as well. Uh, here's the thing about these designs. While they're great, I hope that we recognize and are reminded that this is how we're supposed to live. Now let no one look down upon on us for our youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. That's our ultimate goal, to please Jesus Christ in everything that we do. Finally, I want to thank all the new people that are here tonight. There are some new people, and some of you guys have been here with the church, but you're over at Pensburg, and now you're joining us here at Quakertown, so we're really glad that you're here tonight. Um, who brought their Bibles? All right. Raise them up. Raise them up. Who brought their Bibles? All right. So for those that are new or who haven't been here for a while, want to let you know something that we did last week. Listen up. Last week, uh, we gifted everyone with new Bibles. All right, we gifted everyone with a new Bible, the CSB Christian Standard uh, Version, uh, Christian Standard Bible Version, so we can all follow along. So I think we have ten left back here. So if you're new and you want to be on the same exact page and the same translation that we're using, you can grab one and you can keep it. You can highlight it, mark it up, do whatever you want with it. And so what we did last week and what we'll continue to do moving forward, whether I teach, Tim teach, Quincy teaches, whoever teaches, we'll say the passage. Like, for example, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, but then I will say we'll be on page 556. Now, this only works if you have the Bibles that we provided as gifts for you guys. If I say Mark chapter 14, page 556, and you have a different book, you may be in the Old Testament still, depending on your Bible. Um, so, that's how that works. So, I encourage you, if you want to follow along, based off of the translation that we have, and being on the same page, uh, I encourage you to take one of these. Again, it's a gift uh, from us here at the ministry. Uh, and so, with that, let's talk about last week. Let's talk about last week here for a minute. First off, I want to thank you guys uh, for your hunger and your drive to understand what God's Word have to, has to say. You guys were phenomenal. We just literally finished a verse and then three hands go up. What does this mean? What does that mean? What does it that? I'm like, you didn't even start yet. This is cool. Um, and so I want to keep that hunger, So, but I also want to let... I want to be able to get through the lesson as well, and you guys can talk to, through it through small groups and that. So, just want to let you know, there are going to be times I'm not always going to be able to answer a question if you if you have one, alright? But here's what I encourage you to do. Who has that note sheet? Who has those note sheets? Put them up in the air. Pen, put the notes. Write your question down. Write your question or questions down. And this way you can talk about them in your small groups and you don't have to say, oh, I forgot what I wanted to ask. Because it's right there on the piece of paper. So any questions that come up through, again, I will do my best to answer them. I'm not going to be able to answer all of them. But write them down. Your small group leaders will be able to help you out with it. Okay? We good? 
Cool. All right. Let's talk about last week a little bit. Who remembers what we talked about? Anthony. There was one verse. I don't know the exact verse. I just got it. I don't know the highlight is somewhere, but it says the spirit is willing and um, but the flesh is weak. Okay. Put down like me and my spirit is strong, but our flesh is weak. We make all the wrong, make us wrong temptations. That's good. Awesome. Anyone else? Was that a hand raised, Vincent? Or yeah. Like Jesus on the mount. Well, we're going to be on, I think we're going to be on page 556 again, 556 through 557, Mark chapter 14. Travis. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, it was about how the disciples were all following the speech. Mm-hmm. And, um, Jesus and he had to go over to them three times and be very stressed. Mm-hmm. And he said, Come, uh, like, like, he said, something about calm one's That's exactly what he said. Why? You brought up a good point. Jesus was distressed. Why was Jesus distressed? Hydro. That word. That word. Cassie? Cassie? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else? Travis, last one. Um, he didn't really, like, if he was showing the human and, like, and not wanting to die on the cross and praying to God for another way, and he was saying to God for another way. Absolutely. Good job. Good job. All right. So, yes. And so, that's where we're at at this point in our study of Mark. If you're new and you're with us, just letting you know, we've been in this book for what, a year and three months now? Right? Something? A year and three months or so. So we're almost, we're gonna, we're actually gonna be done right around Easter time, uh, with this, uh, study, which is pretty cool. Nope. Nope. The grind is real. Huh? The grind is real, yeah. So. We're going to pick up back at the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as at the end, Travis quoted it very well at the end where Jesus says in verse 42, Get up, let's go, see my betrayer is near. And so that's where we're at tonight. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14, verses 43, all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 72. So if you have the Bibles, we're going to be on page 556, going to 557. You have the new Bibles. Does anyone, does everyone have a Bible or is able to follow along, right? Alright, is everyone at 556 at the page that they need to be at? Do we need to bring Tim up here to chug a water again? Sure! (laughs) Or coffee this time, apparently. (laughs) Alright. So Mark, chapter 14, starting at verse 43, found on page 556 of your Bible. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer has had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. 
arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi! And kissed him. They took hold of him and arrested him. One of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Don't get caught up on that verse, okay? (laughs) They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders and the scribes assembled. Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimonies against him, and the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimonies against him, stating, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are, these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blaspheme. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, Prophesy! The temple temple servants also took him and slapped him. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entryway, and a rooster crowed. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, You certainly are one of them, since you're also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. I thank you for every student uh, that is gathered here, and I thank you for all the leaders that are with us tonight as well, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for uh, the proclamation of your word. And God, as we dive in a little bit deeper of what we just read here this, this evening, Lord God, Father, I pray that we have hearts that are open to receiving what was just read and ears that are able to listen tonight, Lord Jesus. Father, we, I pray that we walk away here not just looking at what everyone did wrong, but that we can look at ourselves and recognize our sinful nature and the reason why we need a Savior, why we need you, Jesus. 
pray that we can learn from your humility in this scene tonight, Lord God. And Father, we give you all the glory and honor of what's going to happen here this evening. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Alright, so we're going to divide because this is a lengthy section. We're going to divide this into four scenes. If you guys are into movies, we're going to divide this into four scenes. And the first one I would call the betrayal. The betrayal, Mark 14, we're going to look at verses 43 to 45 and dive in a little bit deeper. Now, let me ask you some history questions. I want to see what they're teaching you in history school, and if you're paying attention. Does anyone know what the following two phrases mean? Let's start with the first one. A tu brute. Does anyone has anyone ever been taught Roman history or Shakespeare? Alright. Matthias. Matthias, what does A tu brute mean and where does it come from? And you, something like that. And you. You're on the right track. Hannah. Yes, absolutely. You're right on point. So let me give you a little history lesson. I'm sorry if you weren't expecting history. Listen, I'm not just going to give you like dates and I'm going to tell you something that gory happened, alright? In Rome, in the history of Rome, there was a guy named Julius Caesar. Anyone know, hear of Julius Caesar? Okay. He was the emperor during Rome. He reigned from 46 B.C. to 44 B.C. His reign was cut short because uh, in his empire, in their government they had, they had a senate, like we have a senate in our American government here uh, in our country. But the senate... Uh, decided to go against the emperor and were going to mob him. And the person who led the charge was a guy named Marcus Brutus, or also known as just Brutus. And what you need to know about Brutus is that he was best friends with Julius Caesar until this moment happened. There was a day, anyone know the day? Called the Ides of March. What's the, what's the date? Nick? One more day. Yes, there you go. Eyes of March. And so the Senate and Brutus decided to lead a charge against Julius Caesar. And as Hannah explained, there was a point where all the senators just started stabbing Julius Caesar. And now, according to history and scholars, they said that... um, They said that Julius Caesar was fighting them off and he was standing tall and he was was a strong warrior, like, I'm going to get through this, I'm going to get through this attack. Until he saw who he thought was his close friend and ally, Brutus, come up with his sword. And that's where the the term A2 Brute, or U2 Brutus, came into effect. Brutus stabbed, stabbed Julius Caesar and he died. Here's another phrase. Does anyone know the phrase turncoat? Anyone know what the phrase turncoat means? David. Someone who switched sides. Yeah, switch sides. Yeah, very good. Does anyone know where that originally came from? Gideon. What's that? Yes. And who turned coat during the Revolutionary War? Let's see who's paying attention. 
Uh, which, which one? My question. The, who turned coat on the Amer- in the American Revolution, fighting for America, and then went to Britain? His first name is based off an egg. If that helps. An egg. Yeah, go ahead, get it. Well, Benedict Arnold. There you go. So Benedict Arnold. Does anyone? Do you guys remember that now? American Revolution. Who, who was not taught that? Wait, wait, wait. Time out. I just want to know who was not taught that. What are these schools teaching you? Oh yeah. Anyways, anyways. Brief, quickly, because I'm, I'm, I'm making a point to this. All right. In the American Revolutionary War, there was a guy named Benedict Arnold who fought for America for the Revolution, fight against Britain. He was a good soldier until, at some point in it, he decided, you know what, I'm not going to fight for America anymore. I'm going to turn coats and go from blue to red and fight for Britain. And he became a spy and, and fought for Britain. Um, that's why most people don't name him Benedi- name their children after Benedict Arnold. Um, this is also why most people don't name their sons Judas. Let's get back. Huh? Fine. But Judas, but, his, but here's the thing. Here's, this is my point. We're talking about betrayal. You had friends, you had allies who betrayed these people, betrayed a cause in a sense. And in this first scene that we read in the first couple verses, we see a close friend, someone like a brother, betray Jesus. I want to dive in a little bit more of, of the significance of what's happening here. Je- uh, not Jesus. Judas comes in to betray Jesus with, just going to say it, with flattery. With flattery. He, he betrays Jesus with flattery. Some couple words you need to know, and I encourage you to write this down. The word rabbi, when Judas said rabbi, this means my great one, or teacher, in a sense. Now we read also as well that the signal to show who is Jesus, Judas was going to what? Now, what was what was the signal to say he was going to Jesus? The one he would he, he would kiss. And now maybe some of you are like, ew, gross. He was going to kiss him? Yes. My great one or teacher. Okay. Now, the kiss is a sign of respect. In culture in that time, most people were greeted with a kiss. If you found them with respect, they would kiss you on the cheek, and that was respect. I'm kind of glad we don't do that today. All right? Um... <laughs> Anyways, so rabbi equals my great one or teacher. Kiss is a sign of respect. And so what Judas comes in, and when you read not just this account, but the account in Matthew and Luke and John, Judas comes into this point where he's like, Rabbi, hey, how you doing? And literally comes up to him and kissed him. He's flattering Jesus in a sense of like, Oh, we're still good buddies, but actually, no, I'm about to betray you. And here's the other thing about here's about the, here's the other thing about the kiss or the sign of the kiss. He didn't just do it once. 
He was like kissing him on the cheek over and over, according to some commentaries, the way the verb is. So he's paying homage to Jesus, in a sense. He's he's like, it's like a disgusting flattery. Anyone ever been around people who tried to flatter you before? It's kind of weird. And you know, and you know that, and you know that it's not real. You know it's fake. And Jesus catches this right away. It's not here in this, in this section in Mark, but if you read the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 22 about this account, Luke gives a little more detail. Judas says, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And now it's not a question of like, oh, I didn't realize you were going to do this. It's more of a like, of all the ways you're going to betray me, you're going to try to flatter me with some respectful kiss and call me rabbi and, and on and on and on when your heart is far away from me. And it's very easy to look at Judas and be like, ah, Judas, come on, man. How could you be such a flattering jerk? Can I say jerk? I don't know. Um, but, but, we need to recognize that we can sometimes just be as bad as Judas. Our lifestyles and the way we try to flatter God on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning and say, oh, these are the days, I'm God, I'm good, I'm going to flatter you and just and act out the part here on a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning because I grew up in a Christian household, I know the words and the language and I'm going to flatter you on Wednesday and Sunday to let you know that everything's okay with us, but in reality your heart is far away from Him. Listen, Christ doesn't want our flattery. He wants our obedience. And so we see the betrayal that takes place here, which moves into the next scene in Mark, which I would call the arrest. The arrest. So after Judas gives the signal, Jesus is about to be arrested by a mob of people. Now this mob of people consisted of 600 soldiers. Yes. Six hundred soldiers. Yes. Matter. So when you look at the Greek behind the wordings of what uh, is taking place, uh, and I can show it to you actually later on, um, it dives down deeper to what actually the mob means, and in the different accounts, and in the Greek, uh, forget the. It begins with an A, but anyways, it leads to. Uh, Century, century, which means uh, losing my my thought here. But anyway, yeah, centurion in a sense. But then it breaks it down to like it was six hundred soldiers at that point. But I can show you the the context of it later. Okay, um, so six hundred men surround Jesus and the disciples. And so you're asking, well, why are you bringing six hundred people? Well, yeah, so there, there's a little bit more to it because, you know, they're thinking of, of Jesus as a revolutionarist in a way that he's going to overthrow um, Rome, which is actually what Judas wanted, which is why Judas turned coat against Jesus. Judas thought that Jesus was going to be this revolutionarist who was going to take over, uh, overthrow the Roman Empire, 
free, liberate the people of Israel, and that everyone would be free and everything would be okay. And then when Judas found out that, no, Jesus is actually saying, I'm going to die, and this is not what you're expecting, Judas is like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And so he betrays him, and so many people are thinking as Jesus as this revolutionist, they're perceiving him one way as a revolutionary, is like, oh, he's going to take down the government, but another way, that's not who he is. And most people who would go after revolutionaries, one that we're going to read about later um, in the next couple of weeks is uh, Barabbas. Anyone know about Barabbas? Okay. If you don't, we'll see in a couple of weeks about who Barabbas is. But Barabbas was a, rev- was a quote, revolutionary who was trying to overthrow the Roman government. And they would go after people like this and they would assume that they were hiding and that people were going to fight and everything like that. And Jesus isn't hiding. Jesus doesn't want to fight. Now, we read that some of his disciples, one of them, Peter, cuts off the ear of someone, and Jesus and other accounts are like, no, we're not doing that. Jesus isn't hiding. He isn't fighting. He's literally giving up. He's just like, okay, come arrest me. But he, but he's also saying, like, of all, like, again, you saw me during the day, you saw me preach in the temple and everything, and you're coming to arrest me like I'm this criminal. Which he wasn't. But at the end, he does, he does make a point that, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And what scriptures are going to be fulfilled? Well, we talked about this earlier, a couple of weeks ago. What did Jesus say would happen to the disciples in the, this moment? We just read it. What would happen to the disciples? Back here. Yes, they would scatter. That's right. Absolutely. And they all did. And it, Zechariah 13.7 says, Sword awake against my shepherd and against the man who is my associate. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. The shepherd was Jesus who was struck, struck and arrested and the sheep are his disciples who scattered everywhere, including, which we read at the end, um, who actually, the person who lost his clothes, some believe, is actually John Mark, the author of this book that we've been studying the last year or so. Any questions so far? Rachel? Well, I guess I don't understand why he would say a certain young man if he's talking about himself, but I guess... Just the way some of the scholars say it. Why would he add that in Pharisee? <laughs> just to show you part of the story, I, I don't, I don't know. This is how scholars, some scholars believe. Yes, here's here's my part in the story. No, I don't, I don't know. I, do, I honestly don't know. Anyone? I'll take one more question. Okay, so the first two scenes we've seen Jesus be betrayed, we've seen Jesus be arrested, and now this third scene I will call false accusations. False accusations in Mark 14, verses 53 through 65. We read there that Jesus is in the midst of a trial. And I'll let you know that this trial is unfair and shouldn't be taking place at this point. The way the religious leaders are moving through with this, this is actually against their law. If you guys would turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 19, starting at verse 15. And if you're following along in the Bibles that we gave, it's on page 103. Page 103. Deuteronomy chapter 19, starting at verse 15. 
You guys there? You guys good? Give me a thumbs up if you're good. Page 103? Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 19, starting at verse 15. One witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person, whatever that person has done. A fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness testifies against someone accusing him of a crime, the two people in the dispute are to stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and and judges in authority at that time. The judges are to make a careful investigation, and if the witnesses turn out to be a liar who have falsely accused his brother, you must do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil from you. Then everyone else will hear and be afraid, and they will never again do anything evil like this among you. Do not show pity, life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, and foot for a foot. And so what they're saying here is that you need to have two or three credible witnesses testifying against the person. And if they're actually wrong, whatever the demand they're trying to do, and we see here with Jesus, these people are trying to kill him. Like there, There's no hiding it. This is a lynch mob. They're, they're literally seeking to kill Jesus. And they're all coming up with these testimonies and false accusations, a false testimony that they can't even come together with, and they're actually the ones sinning. I find it interesting. We're going to see in this scene, everyone's blaming Jesus, that Jesus is the sinner. Jesus is the one that's the blasphemer. And yet everyone around them is sinning, but Jesus. And here's the false testimony versus the truth. The false testimony, if you go back to Mark chapter 14 on 556... Verse 58, it said, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. And we read there in verse 59 that that they couldn't agree on that testimony. So that's their false testimony. But what was the real testimony? What, what, does anyone know the scripture that they're trying to talk about in, in regards to what Jesus meant by destroying this temple? David. Yeah. Yes, it was supposed to be the temple of God. Great, great job there. So if you actually turn to John chapter 2, you, you paraphrase it very well. John chapter 2, verse 18, found on page 580. Page 580, John chapter 2. Verse 18. And so context of what... 580. So in context of what David was saying, this is a Passover, and what we're about to read, Jesus and the disciples are in um, Jerusalem for a Passover, not the same Passover we've been talking about, but a different one in their time. And they're going through the temple, and Jesus sees everything that's going on, and Jesus at this point is so upset that he makes whips of cords, and he flips tables and tells people what you're doing is wrong. Right? And the Pharisees and the religious leaders are all upset. And then in verse 18, 
They're asking, they're about to ask Jesus, what is your authority that you can do this? So they said in verse 18, chapter 2 of John, so the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? They're asking, who gave you the authority to do this? What's the sign for this? And this was Jesus' answer. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. It doesn't sound anything like what the, the, uh, Religious leaders are saying. And verse 20 actually clarifies for us what Jesus was saying. Therefore the Jews said, This temple took 46 years to build, and you will raise it up in three days? Verse 21, But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. See, Jesus wasn't saying, oh, I'm going to tear down this temple and in three days with human hands it's going to be built in a sense. No, he was saying, you want a sign? You want to know who, what, where my authority comes from? Here's the sign. You're going to kill me and three days later I'm going to rise. That's my authority. That's my sign to show you who's in charge and why I'm in charge. But through all these false accusations, through all this false testimony, did you guys notice one thing that Jesus has done? Stay calm. Yeah. Stay calm. Stay silent. He didn't do, he didn't say anything. He didn't have to defend himself. He knew it was an unfair trial. And who's ever been in an unfair situation and you've said, this is unfair? I think we all have. Jesus knows this is an unfair trial. He knows he's in an unfair situation. He knows that the religious leaders are sinning. And yet, he sits, stands there silently like a lamb headed to slaughter. Like we read in Isaiah 53, verse 7. I think this shows us humility. That at some times in our lives, things aren't going to be fair. That at times, people are going to make even false accusations about you. And maybe they have. And maybe you've tried everything to defend yourself. And you feel like, well, I need to say something. I need to stick up for myself. And yes, you want, you, you know, you gotta, you know, be respectful in a sense. But there comes just after a while where you just gotta be silent and let your, your walk in life do more of the talking than letting those who are falsely accusing you doing the talking. Does that make sense? A little bit? Now we only see Jesus respond when he's finally asked by Caiaphas, the high priest, are you the Messiah? And Jesus responds in truth to the only question that has been asked to him. And he answers by saying, I am. I am. Now this may go over your head, so I'm sorry, but you need to understand the I am here for a sec. The Greek behind this I am is ego a me. Not ego my waffle, okay? Lego my waffle. It's not Lego my ego. I am, and here in the Greek, means ego a me. Which means I existed. And Jesus has used this I am statement with the Greek behind it. Ego, Amy, multiple times. One is found in John chapter 8, verse 58, where Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. 
Now, Tim mentioned three weeks ago about the Passover and, and Moses encountering the burning bush and where God was. Does anyone remember what God told Moses when Moses asked the question, uh, when I go down and the Israelites say, who sent me, what name should I say? I am who I am. That's the same ego a me. I am who I am. I existed that Jesus is saying here in the temple when asked, are you the Messiah? He says, I am. And Jesus also quotes Daniel. He also not only quotes what God himself had said to Moses, but he also quotes the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, where Daniel said, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one, like a son of man, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. Jesus, of everyone else who is lying, sinning, Jesus is the only one telling the truth. I am the Messiah. I am God in Flesh. I'm not just saying it, but I'm also going to quote the prophecy that said, I am coming as well. And we see here that the Caiaphas, the religious leader, and all the others did not like this. To the point that the religious leader himself actually broke one of his own Levitical laws where he tore his garment. If you were to read, uh, write this verse down, you guys can look at it in your small groups. Leviticus 21 Verse 10, it's found on page 63 in your Bibles, if you have those Bibles. It talks about how the high priest is supposed to act and the way he's supposed to dress and everything. And the high priest is not supposed to tear his garment. And the moment he found out what Jesus said, he tore his garment. And so all the sins, all the, all the false accusations that Jesus is not the one. We actually see that Jesus is the only one telling the truth. And we also see what, how ugly sin can get as well. Anyone ever been around someone who's been really angry before? Anyone ever been in a situation where you're like, whoa, this is, this looks ugly. This can be bad. Although most of the time, all the time actually has to do with sin and anger, a situation that has taken place. And we see this anger that's taking place rearing its head to the point now that they're slapping Jesus, they're spitting on Him, and they're going to do everything they can moving forward to make sure that He dies. And yet after Jesus says what He needs to say, He still remains silent. And the last final scene we'll talk about here for this evening is called, I would call, the denial the denial here towards the end, we saw that Peter, out of all the disciples, Peter actually had a little bit more courage than than him than them. Peter actually decided, I'm still going to follow Jesus, I'm still going to see what's going to take place and everything like that, until he's confronted about the truth of whether or not he knows Jesus. We see the first time someone asks him, hey, do you know Jesus? Uh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. I don't know him. I've never known him. The second time that he, they ask, he gets a little more agitated. I, I told you, I don't know who he is. Get away from me. And then the third time, as the scriptures read, he, or not Jesus, Peter cursed and swore and said, I don't know this man. Now, cursing and swearing is a little bit different than what you may be thinking right now back then. This is more of like an oath. Um, 
If you read Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Don't make an oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Okay. So what Peter is doing here, he's making an oath. He's like, Lord, strike me dead if this is false, but I'm telling you, I don't know that man. And Peter's probably thinking, oh boy. Right? Or saying something maybe like, on my mother's grave, I don't know who Jesus is. But here's, here's something we need to, to recognize. After Peter denies Jesus for the third time, in Luke chapter 22, verse 61, it says that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. There was a point, however way the, the temple and the, the trial was set in the courtyard, there was somehow, some way, Jesus was able to make eye contact through a window, or somehow they made eye contact. And the moment the third denial happened, the moment the second rooster crowed, Jesus and Peter made eye contact. And we read at the end of that that Peter wept, And he remembered what Jesus had said, and he ran away. Yes, Amar. I was just asking what... Luke, yeah, great question. Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 61. So in in the Bibles that you have, it would be found on page 576. So one of the questions that went through my mind, and maybe this might go through your mind, because... You're like, okay, well, wait a minute. We just saw Judas betray Jesus, and now we see Peter deny Jesus. What makes Peter better than Judas? You know what I mean? Like, Judas betrays him, but what? Peter pretty much denied he knew him. What, what's the difference? David? Um, he did. Why did Jesus give Peter a second chance, though? Part of it, but it leads me to. But you're, right, you're on the right track. But this leads me to my point. This is the this is the main difference between Peter and Judas. If there's nothing else you get from tonight, here's what you need to know. It all circles around this one word: repentance. 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 The difference between Judas and Peter is repentance. Judas had a change of mind, but not of heart. We'll read later on in the Scriptures that Judas regretted his decision. He recognized in his mind that it was a mistake. He shouldn't have done it. He actually pleads with the people, take the silver back. And they said, no, we can't take it. And he runs away. And he does what he did. Um, But he doesn't have a change of heart. He has a change of mind. He's like, oh no, I've been caught. I made a mistake. And he regrets it. Peter, on the other hand, has a change of mind and and a heart and will have a change of life when he sees the resurrected Christ again and he truly repents after the knowledge of the fact of what he's done. That's why he's crying. That's why he's weeping. He's like, oh man, I just denied my Savior. The man that I called Messiah. The man that I said, I would stand by you. And Jesus even told me I wouldn't. And I wouldn't believe him. Look what I've done. Let's tie this all together in in, in regards to this. That every single one of us in this room are called to repentance. 
Every single one of us are called to repentance. Listen, we are sinners. We all need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. But He doesn't become your Savior until you repent and believe on the works of what Christ has done and what we'll see He will do in the next few weeks. But a a life of repentance doesn't just mean saying, yeah, I repent, ask for forgiveness, and move on with your day. And continually doing that same sin, that same habit, over and over and over. A life of repentance changes everything. It changes the way you think. It changes the way your heart reacts. It changes the lifestyle that you live. That only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit when we truly forgive and say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And listen, I speak from my own personal experience. Every single one of us in this room needs a Savior. The question is, which Savior are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the true, living Savior who is alive and with us today, Jesus Christ? Or are you going to choose these false gods that claim to be your saviors? It's a question every single one of us needs to wrestle with, every single one of us needs to answer. As we get ready for small groups, I pray that the Holy Spirit uh, pricks your heart to dive in more about that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this evening, Lord. We thank You for... Uh, the scriptures that we have read this evening, Lord God. Father, we thank you for Christ's humility, Lord Jesus. God, Jesus, thank you for showing us in the midst of what can be a tough situation. It's not pride that saves us. It's humility and surrenderance to you, Lord God. Knowing that even if things that are unjust, that things that are unfair in this broken world that are happening... God, that You are the perfect and ultimate and final judge. Let our rest and hope be in You, Lord Jesus. And Father God, as we we read here about Peter and his denial, God, maybe there's some of us in this room today who have denied You. Maybe we haven't said it spokenly. Maybe our lifestyles. Maybe the way we act, maybe the way we behave, maybe even what we post or say. And yet, Father, You still have love and compassion for us, where You seek for us to come to know You. Where our hearts can be softened only through the power of the Holy Spirit to to recognize, I am a sinner. I need help. I can't do this on my own. Christ, we thank You that You are the Savior. That You are the true Savior. That there is no great work that we need to do. The great work has been done because of You. Father, we thank You. And as we approach uh, the Easter uh, season... And by your timing, this is where we're at right now, Lord God. I pray that we just don't celebrate Easter and remember Easter during Easter. I pray that we remember every single day what you've done on the cross for us. And I pray that we are gracious 
and grateful and thankful for what you have done for us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.